Hello listeners and welcome to the Monto Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. This week we discuss the so-called Repower EU plan the European Commission launched last month. We've had several weeks to digest the content, so in this episode we will delve into the details. Can Europe cut two-thirds of Russian gas consumption this year and fully by 2027? What will be the cost and who will pay? What's achievable in the short term and what can be done over five years? And where will we be by 2030? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to discuss this and much, much more are Ilaria Conti of the Florence School of Regulation. A warm welcome, Ilaria. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. And Dries Akio of Solar Power Europe. Also, a warm welcome to you, Dries. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I, I want to talk about the, the main idea behind the, the so-called Repower EU plan. Um, what is what is the main idea? Is it just to end the EU's dependency on Russian fossil fuels? Dries, if I could start with you. Absolutely. This is, uh, in fact, a new agenda for Europe. Um, in Versailles, a couple of months ago, the European Council agreed to look at reducing Russian fossil fuels as soon as possible. And now what we see with Repower EU is the Commission's concrete agenda towards that. So it's, it's quite a turning point, I should say. Um, the green transition, to some extent, is actually recognized now for its security merits. Uh, the political attention is, is certainly increasing. Uh, accelerating renewables and efficiency has become a matter of, of national uh, security. What's your view here, Laria? Um, can, is it realistic to be able to stop using Rus- Russian gas by 2027? and cut two-thirds by the end of this year? Well, let's say it's the ambitious plan that uh, the Commission seemed to have uh, uh, displayed with the Repower EU. Uh, Actually, we've seen uh, a series of uh, uh, very interesting and uh, ambitious publications and targets released since the beginning of the energy crisis. The Repower EU is certainly one of them. And uh, in my view, uh, the scope here is really... Uh, almost killing two birds with one stone, because what the, the Commission says is that the scope is to reduce rapidly the dependence on Russian fossil fuels by fast-forwarding the clean transition. So it's actually uh, pursuing two targets at the same time, which we imagine is not easy, but that's precisely what the Repower EU wants, wants to do. Um, and the main instruments are uh, diversification, uh, saving energy, so uh, and th- this will be actually a very important one, sometimes a bit neglected, um, and also uh, speeding up the transition with investments and reform. So all good ideas, um, ambitious, as I said. And to reply to your question, uh, I think it will be possible to um, cut uh, Russian supply uh, by the end of the year, by two-thirds, that's the plan. Um, the question is uh, how, uh, at what cost, and uh, I think the general agreement is that it, uh, it won't be painless. Uh, I don't agree with those who say that it will be a bloodbath, but uh, uh, certainly we have to take into account the social costs of uh, accelerating uh, and doing without Russian gas. Perfect. I'd like to return to that point a little bit later, Laura. But if I can ask you, Dries, I mean, to see how we've had a sort of flurry of different packages over the last two years. We have the, the 50. For 55, sorry, the Green Deal, the recovery plan. What, what, how does this fit in, Repower EU, into that big picture? Is it, is it taking different parts of all the packages or is it a separate package altogether? Well, it's important to understand the different starting points uh, of these packages. Um, the Green Deal and the Fit for 55 agenda are 
primarily climate agendas, looking to accelerate the clean energy transition from that point of view. Uh, the Green Deal also looked at the socioeconomic context around that environmental justice, just transition, uh, and all of that. The Repower EU is very different from a context. This is about energy security, and it's part of the European Union's response to the Russian aggression and the war at its borders, if or on its continent, if you will. Um, so in a way, the packages do align surprisingly well from the point of view that renewables and efficiency are, thank God, also helping us with the energy security measures. So basically, we see those two agendas um, uh, coming together, and we see we're realizing the security merits of things like solar, wind, electrification, and efficiency. Um, of course, the Repower EU, because of its different entry points, as because of the fact that it's not at its heart, a climate agenda, um, as has uglier elements as well, if I may put it that way, like, for example, a return to gas import infrastructure. Um, some of that's, most of that's uh, completely unnecessary. And, of, and above all, I would also highlight the international messaging uh, from the Commission as part of its Repower EU uh, package, being very much around gas, drill, baby, drill, that's what the world hears from the Commission. Um, so it's quite dominated by a call for gas outside of Russia. And that's a signal that is difficult to ignore. And it's actually a wrong signal to some of the developing nations looking at developing their country based on um, uh, some economic pillars. And we see that, for example, in Africa, the message is really picked up as saying like, okay, Europe will need our gas so we can safely explore that. While actually the message is that Europe is reducing tremendously its fossil fuel use and gas use in the next years. So it's a bit of a paradox that we need to kind of be on top of. And the Commission will have to manage that carefully um, within the context of international climate negotiations as well. So you're saying there's a bit of mixed messages going out here? Yeah, I think so. Um, almost paradoxical messages. If you are Senegal, if you're in Mozambique, yeah, the message you get is Europe will be a trustworthy, stable demand pool for your gas resources that you never knew whether or not to develop because it was a big investment. Will there be a return? And now it feels like Europe will be that stable imports place and that stable demand pool and, and, and partner. And that's just misleading because Europe is going to reduce enormously their fossil fuel use, and may leave some of these developing countries into the resource trap and into choosing wrong pillars for its economic development. Um, the Commission is aware of that, that's for sure. But it is a message that they will need to manage going forward uh, very strongly. And it's not just gas, obviously. It's also South Africans are, are trying desperately to find new sources to, to export to Europe for their, their coal supply, that is. So, Ilari, what's your view here about the mixed message that Dries is talking about? Not sure I agree. I mean, I see this um, element as well, of course, but uh, I, I also heard very clearly uh, Franz Timmermans, uh, the Commissioner Timmermans, saying that, you know, what we are trying to strike now with this alternative countries, with these countries diver by diversifying supplies is a sort of short-term deal for uh, fossil fuels, so for coal, for gas, for whatever we need at the moment. We, we are all aware that we are uh, working under exceptional circumstances, that the uh, 
the, the likely shortage uh, in supply we are going to face next winter is something exceptional. It was not foreseen. It's something to uh, cope with, to, that we have to cope with uh, urgently. And therefore, that's why we are looking for uh, immediate resources, faster, the fastest resources we can get. And these are, unfortunately, fossil fuels. But we are also, at the same time, trying to uh, negotiate already with the same countries a longer-term deal. That's, these are really the words of Timmermans. Short-term deal for immediate, for, to cope with the immediate emergency, and then a, a longer-term deal with the same countries, uh, trying to ensure uh, imports uh, for Europe uh, of uh, um, renewable sources so that we will have, in the medium-longer term, we, we, can, we will be able to continue the uh, sustainability policies that we have uh, quite rightly put in place in uh, in previous years before the uh, the start of the war. So I I think that's that's the plan, and uh, to me it sounds uh, very good because in the longer term the only possibility we will have of uh, being really independent uh, energy wise uh, for Europe it will be uh, renewables investing in renewable sources uh, so that we will be able to to cover our energy demand as much as possible. Uh, with uh, internal domestic production. Mm. So you, Ilara, you, you talked about the cost of the Repower EU plans here. I mean, have you got any figures at hand here? And, and who, who actually pays for, 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 for these plans? Quite well, too, a big, big, big question there. It like. is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't have the ambition to, uh, to have the, uh, the right answer for that. What I can uh, see is definitely that uh, there have been a number of measures, uh, good measures, I would say, um, put in place or at least proposed. Of course, now we are discussing about proposals from the Commission and now most of these uh, proposals are in the hands of the Parliament, of the European Parliament and the Council. So if, um, let's say, that there is a, uh, a speed implementation and acceptance of such uh, measures, we will be fairly um, covered with, uh, um, well, fairly covered, partly covered with social costs. We have the Social Climate Fund. We have uh, um, the, the Repower EU has uh, already planned for 300 billion euros investments um, uh, for, uh, for, to sustain this, uh, this uh, target, the achievement of this target. So um, we, are not, we are not talking about peanuts, to be honest. So I think these are all good measures and there are the, the Commission is well aware of the cost. And this is also demonstrated by the fact that it has started uh, engaging in some industry-related initiatives, as Dries surely knows, the EU Solar Industry Alliance, but also um, the uh, electrolyzer declaration. So it seems that uh, the Commission is aware of the cost. It's trying to involve the industry as much as possible so that there are investments in going in the right direction. Uh, I have to be less uh, or a little bit more critical towards instead the short-term measures that were implemented by the member states as to compensate, as to mitigate the uh, rise in energy prices. We know that uh, these measures were suggested already with the toolbox in October, uh, short-term measures aiming to uh, provide relief to uh, consumers, to vulnerable consumers, uh, to uh, startups uh, as well. But they were all meant to be targeted and well, you know, accurately designed. This has rarely happened, I must say, in the member states. Uh, what we have seen has, uh, has been rather uh, blanket, totally blanket subsidies, caps, grants, tax cuts. That they were not, uh, they were not targeted, but they were, 
really extend it uh, with uh, and and this we know that uh, um, is, is something detrimental. I mean, which waters down the effectiveness of uh, of such measures, of course. So hopefully uh, this uh, pattern will change and there will be uh, measures that are more targeted, really trying to uh, support the, the, those uh, parts of the economy that uh, need the support the most. Absolutely. And what, what, what's your view, Dries? Do you think that uh, member states will uh, work towards more targeted measures? It's, as, as Lilaria said, maybe it's the easiest is, is to do just a blanket, just a, sort of a, a subsidy that covers all kind of industries, although that will have the uh, unforeseen consequences. Um, what, 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 what do you think? No, I, I very much agree with uh, what Ilaria was uh, setting out. Uh, uh, one would hope that um, there's a, a move towards more targeted measures, because for the moment we see a bit more of the blanket checks. Now, it's not an easy time to be a politician. Uh, that's for sure. Inflation is uh, is very, very high. It's unprecedented. So at least it's been uh, multiple decades that we've seen this. Um, but it's going to be really important to keep the focus on the structural solutions. So that's what I'm mostly worried about, that the short-term interventions appease, let's say, the tensions and uh, make politicians feel like they tick the box. Yeah? Well, actually, the structural solutions to hedge ourselves against the volatility of fossil fuel prices, because that's really what we're looking at, is to accelerate the fossil-free solutions. Yeah, so to really make sure that um, solar winds and uh, electrification, also from a tax regime, we really need to see that tax shift away from uh, taxing electricity, um, uh, like with free electricity as much as possible from taxation burdens, and actually shift that to the more fossil-heavy and carbon-intensive um, 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 alternatives that we use now. Renovations, heat pumps, uh, electric vehicles. That's where the structural solutions lie. These things can scale relatively quickly, like we're really talking a couple of years. And then we are in a world where we are structurally resilient against those kind of shocks going forward. So that's a perspective that I'm hoping politicians are not losing because they've done a short-term intervention. Uh, that's going to be the challenge. Yep. I mean, I, I think you, you, you point out clearly that politicians have a very tough time at the moment and, and, and it's not easy. And at the same time, they're voted in by their own national electorates, not by regions or by, by, by across the EU. And I think maybe that's at the core of some of the issues here in terms of there's talk of an energy purchasing platform. I mean, how would this work in, 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 in practice? Um, you know, you see, you know, certain countries who are very dependent on Russian gas or gas for their industry will do it utmost to, to sort of go out there and do their own thing, whereas the Commission wants to force countries to work together. How, how do you see this working out in practice, Ilaria? There's not enough information yet to understand how this platform will work in practice. What we read, what we read in the Repower EU is that this platform should serve the purpose of uh, in, at a second stage, it should serve the purpose of uh, facilitating uh, joint purchasing of not only of gas, but also hydrogen. Um, so it is, uh, in principles, it would have an extended scope. But at the moment, how it will work in practice, it's a bit difficult. I have... Um, I have to uh, some. I have some uh, uh, reserves. I would say reservations on this uh, uh, platform because I think that uh, while it's uh, it's definitely something which sounds very good. So I fully understand the political value of uh, proposing uh, 
um, a mechanism by which member states can join and uh, show uh, you know, the strength of Europe when it comes to negotiating uh, energies that just like, and this is often the comparison which is made, just like in the case of vaccination. So in, in COVID times, Europe uh, managed to actually um, join forces for the uh, purchasing of vaccines. But I think it's it's extremely uh, dangerous to make such such a comparison because we are talking here about very different things. Uh, we are talking about, for example, in the case of gas, I'm not leaving aside hydrogen, which is still a nascent market. So anything is still very much open. But for gas, what we have is already a, a European single market for gas, which has proved to work very well. And gas is re regularly purchased uh, by companies, so by private entities, um, member state for member states, it would be a first time that uh, um, you know after market liberalization that uh, take the initiative and take the role of becoming actors on the market. So for me, this at the moment um, includes more uh, question marks than uh, uh, real guarantees uh, for success, particularly as. Um, I believe that that in this situation, um, the uh, it will take uh, time also for uh, to set up such a platform and to um, start uh, for for member states start starting to do something which is not really in their core. So um, I believe that uh, for, for this platform should be really carefully designed in in order to be uh, to be successful and not to lead. To detrimental effects uh, on the on the market, particularly for citizens who will then eventually have to pay for a, an infrastructure that might not bring any benefit in uh, in uh, in costs in in terms in financial terms for them. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's quite a task to, to then plan and and manage that kind of a, a common energy platform. Absolutely, you're saying you know the markets run professionally by traders and by companies and then suddenly if member states were to take that over that's quite a quite a task particularly um, as the sorry as the the, the suppliers as the, the counterparty would be would be the same counterparties for for companies that con companies usually uh, negotiate uh, bilateral agreements with so uh, that's uh, the question is uh, would such a platform have the the power the the market power to come to better agreements, better negotiations, better deals uh, than the, the, the market companies would do normally on the market. Absolutely. Um, but there are also, you know, in the Repower EU plans, there's, you know, there's the targets for renewable energy has increased from 43% to 45% by 2030, Dries. I mean, that's, you know, that's upping the ambition there. Um, but will, we'll, I mean, one of the key obstacles to renewables growth isn't it is the, the the very slow permitting processes in some countries it can take up to nine nine years to get a, a permit to to build a wind farm and um, there's probably similar ones for for solar do you you know how how do you see this playing out that this sort of speeding up um the rollout of, of renewables here Dries? no so i think it is very positive that the commission is putting its finger on an important problem like a real world obstacle a bottleneck um and that's it has taken the time to bring this topic to the forefront yeah so uh with the guidance um uh an indication of go to areas and, and 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 several other things overriding public interest um it is of course true that the commission the european commission has limited competencies this is a very 
national competence, very distributed on even the local level. So it's multi-governance level down from, from national, it's quite complex. Uh, but the commission has given that signal to member states to sort this out, to focus on this. Yeah? Um, now, of course, we must say um, that what we don't want is that this problem is becoming, is escalating. Um, we feel that the commission with its language around go-to areas and exempting from environment uh, permitting and overriding public interest is, is somehow using terms that, that could actually increase the tension and the, and the confrontation around this between a corporate-driven uh, renewables deployment on the one hand uh, and more of a, of a public perception and public in engagement uh, on the other hand. So we as a solar industry, we're certainly looking at merging both sides of things. I think solar has a lot of benefits and options in terms of multiple use of certain lands, um, be it uh, through building integrated or floating solar or uh, rooftop uh, is, is probably the most important one. Um, so we rather talk in terms of priority areas rather than go-to zones, because if you say go-to zones, you almost de facto say, and all the other zones are no go-to zones. And that would be, that would give a bit of a, a wrong signal. Uh, I think solar in particular, but also wind has a good track record of uh, business models that really involve communities as well uh, through community energy schemes. They come in different shades and colors uh, where local uh, uh, communities, municipalities, benefits. So it's not only in terms of participation and, uh, let's say, engagements, uh, having been consulted, but actual being a shareholder, being part of the revenues and seeing the benefits of that local renewables engagement. So what we want is to intensify these conversations. It's been a key topic, a key obstacle that the Commission is now giving attention to. That's very positive. Uh, but the bottlenecks may lie differently. Like one bottleneck that we see, for example, is locally skilled administration. Yeah? So actually, sometimes the bottleneck is not more than the fact that on the local permitting level, uh, they can't follow with the amount of applications. And that just takes time. So we are talking to city uh, networks, to local authorities, regions, to actually look at education programs and skilling programs to make sure that even on the local level, where these decisions ultimately need to be taken, that the, the responsible administration is aware and skilled up to make the right decisions. Those things are probably more important to get right than exempting renewables from environmental impact assessments. That's, that gives a bit of a mixed message that we do need to be careful about. Guys, I'm aware we are running out of time. So much more to discuss, but uh, I think we've covered the, the main points here. So Dries and Ilaria, thank you very much for being guests on the Montel Weekly Podcast. Thank you, Richard. Many thanks to you. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message, any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you, if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.